welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of uh, Amethics Technologies based in Belgium. This episode is going to be different. We're not speaking about AI, we're not speaking about data science, but we are speaking about something way more important where probably, actually I'm pretty sure, data science and AI can play a fundamental role, which is fighting climate change as a technologist. This episode is uh, heavily inspired by an amazing post that I read recently from a newsletter I'm subscribed. Uh, is the newsletter of uh, Sylvain Kerkur. Uh, he's a hacker and a technologist and a creator of Bloom and author of Black Hat Rust. And uh, I will report some of his contacts and of course the newsletter in the show notes of this episode. So what do we speak about today? Well, we speak about indeed how to fight climate change as a technologist. I felt the urge of contributing to this cause by using this channel to be an ambassador of uh, Sylvain's message and uh, of course the message of many others out there who have ideas to fight climate change and uh, catastrophic effects that we're going to face in the near future, unfortunately. Now, of course, there are great ideas out there. I don't expect to be the expert today telling you what to do to avoid uh, climate change and the catastrophic consequences of it. I'm here to share the message and contribute to the cause as much as I can and also to embrace this new way of thinking that would definitely do good to our planet and to our life in the future. We all know that when we are doing something wrong, for example, smoking, drinking, eating junk food, we always say, huh, I'm gonna stop that at some point, I have everything under control, and I'm gonna change my life for the better uh, whenever I decide or I want. And that's only partially true, because many times what happens is that there is this involuntary stop, that is when your body gives up, when you start having physical problems, and you have no options than changing your life for the better, because you're gonna die otherwise. Well, this is what's happening for our environment. Thinking that we can do nothing and you know expect that the environment is not gonna change, that the planet is not going to react in the next few years, is insane. And so the question today is, do you want to plan for a change, you know, voluntarily change, or do you want that change to happen without your control and involuntarily? Before getting into the details and to potential solutions to slow down these catastrophic effects, we should all understand what the problem is. And the problem is that we are facing so-called ecological apocalypse with, um, you know, driven by two essential problems that are climate warming and the destruction of the environment. And so these two things are pretty much, you know, different, though they go hand in hand. These are two problems that need to be fixed together. There is no way to deal with one without the other, though both the problems are pretty much independent from each other, in the sense that solving one would not solve the other. For example, when they tell us that we might be living or we are planning to live in a carbon neutral planet, there are several countries and prime ministers telling that, like in, by 2050, 
prime ministers or presidents, of course, they're telling in 2050 or by 2050, we're going to have a carbon neutral country or whatever. Well, even that's the case, which is extremely ambitious. We would still be eating plastic, right? We would still be living in a planet made of plastic. So how did we get here? Well, one of the major causes of the situation we are living in today is essentially our economic system. And the economic system we know today uh, that has been applied on a global scale is based on extraction and transformation. That means that we dig big holes in the planet, extract some kind of materials that we need to produce something, and we build these products, we produce these products, that we finally sell on the market. And so we have consumers who work and buy this stuff, right? Now, the problem is that this economic system does not take into account so-called negative externalities. And by negative externalities, we mean all the undesirable byproducts that our activities are causing or are creating or are producing. And so these are not taken into account by our models. For example, using coal emits small particles. We create pollution, for example. We create chemical things like sulfur dioxide or nitrogen oxides and many other uh, you know, chemical elements that are definitely poisonous for uh, the environment and for ourselves. And so that has consequences like you know, lung diseases, cancer. Oil also produces NOx and SO2. We still don't know what to do with nuclear waste. Um, I've heard, especially in this period, other presidents and prime ministers speaking about um, clean energy or nuclear power plants, uh, and still nobody's telling us where the nuclear waste is going to be. When I buy food for the, from the supermarket, I am embarrassed by the number of plastic bags that I bring home. Um, eating a salad... Um, and, you know, generates at least two plastic bags, one for the salad and one for the other items that I'm purchasing for the from the supermarket. And, uh, and all that just because I want to keep my salad for at least four days, I will keep it in the fridge, probably forget about it and throw it away. When uh, we move from our home to the workplace uh, on a daily basis, we are transporting a gadget like a laptop, a phone, or anything around us from one place to the other, and we are emitting carbon just for that. Now, climate is not weather. This means that, you know, it's we have to make a distinction between the two, and um, Sylvan made a, an amazing job at explaining this in, uh, in one phrase. <laughs> so during the day, the temperature varies between, let's say, 10 and 25 degrees, depending where you are, but a global annualized temperature elevation of three degrees only will have catastrophic consequences. And so you should expect more storms or extreme events, fires, flooding. Uh, only 2021 was uh, a good year if you had a boat parked in the garage. There are tiger mosquitoes in Belgium. That was something really unexpected. So things are changing and uh, climate warming is not only about temperature. It's an entire ecosystem that is shifting somewhere else. Shall we speak about the destruction of the environment? Well, 
What we are actually doing on a global scale, and we are pretty much succeeding at it, is destructing the soils. As I said, we have a new continent made of plastic, microplastics in the rains, in the fishes. Uh, there is a research that has estimated that in a few years we will have more plastic in the sea than fish. And this would happen even if we were carbon neutral. So don't buy the bullshit that we're going to live in a planet with zero emission and carbon neutral. Because that still will not save you from eating plastic instead of fish. Not only that, but the loss of biodiversity has already fallen below safe levels globally. Rarely does a day pass where a ransomware attack, data breach or state-sponsored espionage hits the news. It's hard to keep up or know if you are protected. But don't worry, Kaspersky's got you covered. Each week their team discusses the latest news and trends that you may have missed during the week on the Transatlantic Cable podcast, mixing in humor, facts and experts from around the world. The Transatlantic Cable podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Go check it out. So what has been done so far? Well, pretty much nothing. And the reason for that is that uh, we are humans and um, we generate excuses to do nothing. As a technologist, I agree on the fact that we are looking after some sort of micro-optimizations that truly have zero impact on the global scale. The global picture is untouched because of the micro-optimizations that we are applying on a day-by-day for example, increasing by a few percentage the marginal efficiency of all the stuff that we buy, but increasing the global consumption, is actually worse. And I'm giving an example. Our cars, taken individually, are definitely more efficient than the cars we were used to drive back in the 70s. We have hybrid engines. We have electric vehicles. We have very efficient motors. Fine. But as we have globally way more cars than in the 70s, the automotive sector emits way more pollution and greenhouse gases. And so it would be exactly the same, if not better, to have cars that are less efficient, but way less in numbers. You know, there is an additive effect that we are not taking into account. And then we go to the primary energy consumption by source uh, on a global scale. There is an amazing slide by ourworldindata.org. Again, I will provide the links in the show notes of this episode, in which there is um, a chart about the primary energy consumption by source. And uh, if we go back to 1800, the only source back in the days was traditional biomasses. Then, you know, with the 1900, with the Industrial Revolution, we got coal and we started using and burning coal and we still use a lot of coal today um, though the graph is until 2019 but that doesn't change the picture we also burn a lot of oil and uh, a lot of gas all fossil the amounts of these are pretty much comparable then we have nuclear in a tiny fraction with respect to definitely oil and coal and then all the other minor ones like uh, modern biofuels, 
solar, wind, hydropower, and other renewables in a very minor percentage. And that's happening only now, like in the last 10 years or less. So how can we join the fight? Well, of course, as I said, this episode doesn't pretend to know how to solve these problems, and we definitely don't. But there are some ideas that might slow down this apocalypse that is undeniable, unfortunately. One in particular is eliminating waste and pollution. I have this example by uh, uh, Sylvan's newsletter, uh, in which he says that his phone recently died due to a tiny component, a USB connector, that failed. It was a 40-year-old phone, and uh, everything else was just perfectly working. So due to a $6 tiny component that could be replaced, an entire phone that is essentially a pocket computer had to be trashed because there was no way to replace that component. And that's because the entire assembly process or production process has glue as a first-class citizen. Now, the same applies to pretty much anything around us, all home appliances, for example. There are all these smart things that break after one to five years. Um, I personally had, uh, have still <laughs> this uh, massive television, it's a smart TV. I'm not ashamed, of course, but I can say that it was a wrong purchase uh, when I look at things this way. It's one of these 55 plus inches television, uh, smart TV, amazing to play PS4 or 5 or whatever after a hard day at work. But if something breaks of that TV, I'm going to throw it away. It will be trash. And believe me, you need two people to carry this bad boy. Now, I believe there are millions of those TVs out, out there. And you can only imagine the amount of trash and the damage that you are providing to your environment just because of that selfish action of buying yourself a TV that is not repairable. So the principal axis to reduce waste is repairability. We need to buy stuff for life. We start. We have to start thinking like our grandparents thought back in the days because they had no other option. It's normal that things break. It's not normal that you have to change the whole thing just because one tiny component failed. And unfortunately, uh, we have embraced this new way of thinking that when something breaks, we buy a new one. So as a solution or as a contribution to join the fight, you should only work for and buy stuff from companies that embrace repairability. And there are some examples I will give you later. We all know that we buy components and devices with programmed obsolescence. Things that are doomed to fail, doomed to break in a few years because we need to buy a new one and you know feed the entire market and ecosystem with that action of buying, 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 buying. We know that. We should break that habit, really. We should do it now. The other solution is, of course, eliminating greenhouse gases emissions. And um, as a technologist, the easiest and biggest impact is reducing transportation and heating. As simple as that. Remote work is something that we have seen in many cases. It works well for many out out there. And the COVID-19 situation has, of course, encouraged to stay home, involuntarily, of course. And 
we have immediately, after a few months, measured the impact on the environment just because people stopped moving uh, from their home to the workplace. So remote work is a non-negotiable action. And of course, no more holidays on the other side of the planet. Don't own a car, even electric ones. Use bike instead or public transport. When you work remotely, you don't lose time to commute, and that's already a big win. You have more time to listen to this podcast. <laughs> Jokes apart, but a lot of energy is saved just because you stay home. And all the stuff that you don't have to carry or did not have to be carried in the first place, like tables, chairs, desks, that are used only a few hours per day. Imagine the carbon that you have been emitting on a global scale, especially when you do that daily. When it comes to your health and to your environment's health, live rural, buy local, buy fruits in season. Now, I don't want to start a, an ethical discussion about meat and the consumption of meat, but you should start really thinking of vegetarian diet. And that's not just because, you know, killing animal is bad, objectively. It's also because producing meat has a devastating effect on the environment. There are real numbers out there that tell you that. What else can you consider after this episode? Of course, there are several projects that are worth considering, and I will report links in the show notes of this episode as all the rest. And some of them are really, really interesting. One in particular is the open source ecology. They're building a set of open source and reusable blueprints for a civilization that you can build yourself from power cube to even entire vehicles. The framework laptop, this is one of my favorite. What you can live without a phone, it's close to impossible to live without a computer today. So you better buy one that you will be able to use for much, much longer than the laptops that you're used to buy. And also it's easily repairable and upgradable. When something breaks, you most likely can replace that component and you're good to go for another three, four years or more. Repairable batteries. Batteries are the challenge of the decade, if not the century. So better start making repairable batteries today. There are so many other projects out there. Uh, of course, it would be crazy to share them all in an episode, but there are potential solutions that could bring benefits to our environment and definitely to our life and life of our families. Finally, we need to really put more thought into our lifestyle. Technology and politics are not helpful if we don't change the mindset. Changing lifestyle is probably the simplest individual change, but the hardest collective one. So that's why my contribution was to use this channel to spread the word and awareness. I would love to know your thoughts and feel free to join us on our official Discord channel or just drop an email. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.